You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Hannah Yardley, Chief People and Culture Officer at Achievers. Hannah, welcome to the Modern People Leader. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? This has been a, a bit of a long time coming, but we were here. It's a beautiful day today in Austin, Texas. I, I don't know. I can't remember where you're you're zooming in from today, but uh, hopefully the weather's nice there as well. Uh, blue skies, but we're probably about 40 degrees colder than you are, and there's definitely a snow top on our route. So here in Toronto, oh. we're embracing the full holiday season ahead of us. Yeah. Love it. I love the sound of that, but here it's like a crisp <laughs> 55, which is like freezing to Texans, but is like pretty warm in the grand scheme of things. So, well, we can't wait to get into the conversation with you. There are a lot of a lot of great things we want to talk about today. But as you know, we have a few traditions at the Modern People Leader, the first of which is what we call good news stories. It's just a way to kick off the episode with a little positivity. And so each of us will share either a personal or work-related good news. Who uh, We prefer for our guests to kick off, Hannah. So if you, uh, if you have something, let's uh, Sure. I think uh, one of my good news moments is this awesome time that I had a couple of weeks ago. And we just returned to some form of a co-location. And I had one of those run and run into the people moments that everyone talks about you think you're going to have when you relocate again but it actually happened to me and someone was talking to me about how they're doing daily stand-ups and how different it is in person I'm going oh I'm in HR we don't do daily stand-ups sounds awful I, I would never do this and they were trying to convince me of all of the benefits of these daily stand-ups yeah and we actually have a really intense period over the next couple of weeks where we're trying to get our one of our near shore sites stood up I was like, I'm going to try daily stand-ups. And so what it's enabling is our HR team to actually stay really, really close and really, really connected on this really important topic. And I don't think I would have been as convinced if I hadn't have had the run-in in the hallway with the product manager. So there are some benefits to the that co-location moment I'm glad to have experienced. Friend. What an awesome good news story. I, I love that. I, as Daniel will, will back me up. I am a big believer in the daily standup yeah. either for like, just in a general sense, I just feel like it's, it's such a great way for teams to get aligned and like create accountability, but also transparency and communication, like just getting all those things going. It's just such a great tool. You have to have some rules in place though. Cause I remember when we used to do the daily state up, man, some of, some of those days they could last for like 15, 20 minutes. It's like, guys, we should be doing this in like five to 10 max. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And so for the people that don't uh, appreciate the conversations as well, you gotta, you gotta create those, those ground rules for sure. Uh, Daniel, you want to go next? Sure. Yeah, I can take it. This was our second year hosting Thanksgiving. Um, so we, we wanted to switch it up this year and rather than just doing the traditional Turkey, we smoked a brisket. So if we hadn't smoked a brisket in like, I don't know, seven, eight months, it had been a while, but, uh, it, it turned out great and it was nice hosting my, my in-laws for the weekend. We always go and have a bunch of really good dinners and just a lot of family time. So that's one of my good news 
stories. I'd say the other one and um, maybe more important. So <laughs> Texas football uh, won their final regular season game and they're going to be going to the Big 12 championship, which I'll be going to this weekend. So I'm I'm really pumped about that. That is awesome. It's been a painful decade for us Longhorn fans, so that's exciting. <laughs> I've got two personal good news this week. Um, first, my my buckets are totally full from our camping trip to Big Ben National Park. It's a big commitment from Austin. It's like a seven and a half hour drive. And we had never been tent camping with my daughter. So I co-parent a 13-year-old and 11-year-old. And my partner and I, we got a, a, a six-person tent. We like did legit like primitive camping. It, it, was, uh, it was awesome. And Big Ben is just so beautiful. And it wasn't like 100 degrees this time around, which was also very nice because I'd been once before. So buckets totally full. The second thing is I'm on the tail end. I'm feeling a lot better. A couple of days ago, I was feeling pretty bad because of a, a sinus cold. So if I sound a bit off today, that's why, but grateful to be on the men. So, uh, well, let's keep the, the conversation rolling. So, so Hannah, I, I call this the Brene Brown question. So what's your story? Like, how do we, you know, how did we get to where you are today you know, what, what was the journey that led to you becoming the chief people officer at Achievers? Sure. I'm going to go way, way back for this one. Yes, um, yes, please. So my, my family actually has roots in the medical profession. I've got a mother that's a physiotherapist. And so it's inevitable that health and wellness would be top of mind for me. But after really quickly realizing that the sight of blood uh, wasn't my jam. I definitely wasn't cut out for a medical role, despite the fact that my my brother went on to be a doctor. And so I sought out other avenues to think about this idea of health and wellness. And when I came across this profession of employee experience and engagement, which I call the corporate version of health and wellness, I thought it was like the most perfect fit. And I haven't really looked back ever since. And so this idea of bringing those worlds, this idea of health to the corporate space has always been really, really important to me. It makes for some really interesting parallels in family conversations. So two of us are kind of on the business side of health and wellness, and two people in our family are on the medical side of health and wellness. And we talk about the same things. We talk about people care and patient care. We talk about how to get people through the system and make sure that they have a transition of knowledge between the different people that they interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. And they don't understand what I'm talking about when I use all of my business terms. And I have no idea what beyond what a tibia is or a fibia is, but the concepts of what we are interacting on are really, really, really similar. And so it's fascinating to, um, to have that dialogue. That's completely fascinating. And just kind of on that, on that tangent, on that kind of keeping that conversation going a little. So how would you describe to a complete stranger just at a party, someone asks like, oh, what do you, what do you, what does your company do? How would, how do you explain the business of achievers to the layperson? Yeah. I, every day we have people that do really lovely things for them and you never get a chance to thank them, or you may never get a chance to thank them. And then you think, oh man, I really wish I had thanked that person for doing these wonderful things for me and maybe even share with others what wonderful things this person has done. And then imagine doing that really easily through your phone or your computer or whatever device you're using. And those moments happen all the time in our personal life. 
and they actually happen all the time in our jobs. We want to be thankful for the things that people are doing for us. And so at Achievers, that's what we're doing. We're making that idea of recognition and thanks seamlessly happen, great recognition moments, the fact that we celebrate it together, and we just so happen to use technology or moments in the flow of our day-to-day work to be able to do that. And I think I feel like rewards and recognition tools are now getting like the, I I guess the market share to, to where like most people, a lot of people in the workplace now are familiar with a recognition system. So I I ran an engagement survey company before, uh, well, leading up to, to earlier this year. And there was a distinct point. I remember in the market where it was like, Oh, what do you do? And I would explain it. And Within like a few years, it became pretty clear. Like most people were like, "Oh yeah, my company does those surveys." I think more and more companies are, are have recognition platforms in place. Like, do you think that's a fair a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. There was a monumental time when we transitioned from reward, and the reward being the outcome that you wanted to get. Right. When actually there's just been an amazing transition through to recognition being the right moment. And there may be a reward on the other side. Maybe you got a gift certificate to go somewhere. But it's that recognition moment that's so powerful for people when it's in the moment and it's about the work that you're doing that makes you feel really good in those microcosms versus it being this kind of massive event. And so the idea that technology can enable that to happen all the time and can happen not just once a year is where I think we're starting to see recognition go now is that we're building it into the flow of the work, the part of the day-to-day, the part of how people want to experience and be recognized for all the stuff that that they're doing. Yeah, and we're big. We're going to talk more about recognition and the power of recognition. But before we do that, we still a few more questions to ask before we can get there. <laughs> and so wh- why should Daniel and I be jealous that, that you get to work at Achievers and we we don't? Yeah, the way I describe it to anyone that's joining Achievers is you get to work at a company where the product is really seamlessly integrated with the culture. So when I describe what our product does, and you can go on and you can see a demo, right? We're a technology company. It creates moments of recognition and celebration. It allows people to find communities. It encourages a sense of belonging that comes along with that. It welcomes people to an organization. It creates transparency because communications are happening and it allows people to feel more included. And those are the characteristics that define our organization as well. Recognition, celebration, belonging, welcome included. I don't know if I got them all, but you you get the sense of, of both what our product does, but then also where the company is at. And that's mm-hmm. what it's like to work here. That's the culture of what we do. And what makes it a step above is that the product that we're using to deliver that is using technologies that are really changing people's lives at scale. So it's great for the person that's working in the business, but it's also a pretty cool mission to get behind when you think about the millions of lives that we're impacting day to day. So I think the last time that we spoke, you had just wrapped up your customer conference. So that might be a good marker of when we last caught up. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we had just come from Austin, actually. Um, we're about, I think it was about four or 500 of us gathered to talk about everything and anything under the sun. Um, a lot to do with belonging, um, but a lot of a lot of other topics as well. Yeah. And I feel like every time you go to a conference or especially an event like this, where it feels a little bit more intimate, 
It's not as big of a group. You get more of those organic conversations that are happening like on the couch outside of like a conference room, right? So I'm just curious, what are you hearing from from your customers? Is there anything in particular that is on the mind of a lot of, of the HR leaders that you're talking with? I mean, there's so many topics that that we could cover. But as I was sitting on the like plane coming home and thinking about like, what would I take as the takeaway that culminates how I felt about the huge amount of learning that you get at any kind of conference, the thing that I, um, that I leaned into is this idea that we haven't been afforded the opportunity to step back in the recent in recent years. So we've had COVID and then layoffs and recessions and global unrest. And everyone just seems to be jumping from one anxiety inducing event to another, particularly in HR. We're still talking about the ripple effects of all of those things. And we haven't been able to unpack or deal with any of them. And so we're learning about things that we probably never encountered before and know how to deal with. So it's taking a ton of energy, both physically um, and mind share to be able to deal with all of these things. And before we can finish dealing with one, another one comes along. And there's a ton of research out there that shows how much stress can interfere with our ability to acquire new information. So it keeps just like building up. And so I think if there's one thing that I took away from that is that we need to find a period of recovery. We need to be able to not just work on ourselves, but work, be able to work back on our businesses because we've been in this reactionary mode, especially as HR leaders for so long. And that period of recovery is important for us personally, but really important for our organizations as well so that we can get out of this cycle of stressors that are impacting the world in which we live in. I love that. So when you talk about needing to find a period of recovery, what, I guess in your mind, what does that look like at the executive level, at the HR level for you as the chief people officer? Like what, what does that look like for you? A couple things I would say, first and foremost, we can't keep waiting till the end to hope that the stress that's involved in this is going to go away. It's really important to take those micro moments while the event is happening along the way. So you need to be able to be able to step back in a moment and think about what's happening and deal with the stress of what's going on because it, the accumulation of it is really what's um, the major difference between what's happening today versus what's happened in the past. So that's one thing that I would say is everybody needs to be thinking about in the moment at pauses. I think organizations can can look at how their business cycle is operating and how to create moments where people can afford to step away. So to Achievers, for example, we have recharge days. And what I really like about those is emails aren't accumulating in your inbox while you're gone. Everybody is taking a break. And what it's suggesting is that the way that you use that break or that recharge day allows for flexibility in how you need to recharge. And that might look different. That might mean going to your psychologist because you have time to be able to go and actually spend that hour with them. It might mean taking your dog for a walk. It might mean raking your leaves. So you don't have to do it next week. Whatever that that recharges for you. I really like that an organization can put purpose behind that. So that's another all organization action that I think are really healthy and really helpful. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of recharge days. We... Um... I, we've, we've talked about this several times in the show, but when I was at Humu, we used to get every other Friday off and we called them Recharge Fridays. And uh, 
after I guess raving about that experience for for months and months, Stephen adopted it for Workify. And did y'all do it every week or was it every every other? It was we, like us, we did right? it every we did it every other week, and uh, and it was perfect, man. It is just so awesome when you get to that Friday, you're like, yes, because life is life, and these things build up and they take time, and it's hard to be intentional about like going to therapy or doing doing you know the things that you need to do to to reset so that you can bring yourself your best self to work like that it, it takes time to do that and so having that that recharge time to to be able to do that is so clutch in my opinion yeah agreed and in helping people to see what they can use them for because so it just seems like another vacation day just another vacation day, especially when so many businesses are moving towards things like flexible vacation or unlimited vacation what does the recharge day actually mean? So putting purpose and dialogue behind what you could use those for and having discussions about them. We celebrate, fancy recognition co company celebrating, but we celebrate what people did on those days because that also helps us get exposure to know the individuals better outside of work. What was it that you decided to recharge around and, and that helps us to get to make people feel more known? And I think part of uh, the success that we've had on the podcast is due to us having those recharge days because occasionally we still have energy and we want to knock out some stuff for the podcast. So a lot of the hours that I had to put towards the podcast came on those recharge days. So uh, I think you're right. Sort of highlighting some of your employees and what they're doing on those days is is important. So one of the more, I guess, consistent themes on the show in the last few months has been around how do we elevate HR in the boardroom. And I think this conversation started in some of the off the record conversations that we were having. So we've been conducting customer development interviews. So talking to HR leaders like yourself and putting, you know, a handful of problems in front of them, nine out of 10 times, they're saying that the number one problem is their uh, inability to, I guess, effectively communicate and influence the board or the executive team. And this is something that we talked about when we had our prep call. And it sounds like something that you're you're passionate about. And one thing that we hear, I can't remember who told us this, but but in one of those 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 research calls, they said uh usually it is HR that's speaking last in in the board meeting. And it's unfortunate and sometimes their their slide isn't even covered. So I'll pause right there. And uh, like, does it, does that resonate for you? Like, what's your immediate reaction when you hear that? Yeah, it, it definitely resonates. And the Achievers Workforce Institute it resonates so much that our Achievers Workforce Institute actually did a little bit of research on this in our report that's actually being published in, in January. And it's only a third of uh, CHROs that feel like they have a strong connection to the most senior executives and the boards. It's one third. That's not a great number. So there are one third. That's one third. That's, that's it. Right. That's oh right. Oh my gosh. And so what you what you've got there is the data behind what this sentiment is that you're feeling from a lot of people that came on on board. And uh, we had a really great roundtable about this um, a couple months ago, and it felt like too big of a hurdle to put up your hand and say, 
can you just include me in the board? My section's really relevant. Bring me earlier. Like It felt like too much to try and ask a, a board to push that up. And one of the things that we came to the conclusion are the ways that I influence um, at the board level is to think about how the lens of HR is being applied in other sections. So great CROs and CFOs don't just chime in or create their sections, but they chime in on other sections. So maybe you can't change that HR speaks last in board meetings, but you can certainly talk about how HR is influencing other things. And I can guarantee you, almost almost guarantee you, that boards talk about financial performance and likely human capital costs are a major portion of that. And so how is your CFO referring to managing that expense line? And I and I imagine what HR can do is influence that expense line quite heavily. How are we recruiting people? What skills are we bringing in? I imagine that boards want to get to know your sales team and how your sales team is performing. And so you need to find out how your CRO is strategically referring to things like performance and development of talent. Because the people questions are there. They're being talked about at the board level. And HR needs to find moments to be able to influence and, and discuss the ways that HR is impacting those really, really, really critical drivers, sales performance, financial performance. Those two things I can almost guarantee are being talked about at a board level. Is this something that you've had to learn over the years? I, I guess at one point, at what point did you realize, okay, like if I really want to be a part of this conversation, I can't just wait my turn. Like I'm going to have to chime in. And I think of of all of the uh, chief revenue officers I've worked for or CMOs or CFOs, and these are always the most vocal people. They have an opinion on almost everything. I don't know. So I, it's funny when, whenever you say that, I'm thinking of all the leaders who are like that, and they were always the most influential. So it almost feels obvious. It is. And when you think about what I'm about to say, which is that you need to show up as a business partner, Everyone has harped on about that. Everyone talks about it. It sounds great in theory, but it's actually a really, what I think is a really critical skill and an often omitted skill because I don't show up and act like HR or what, what my peers think HR should act as. I show up as a partner that's going to enable the business to be most successful. And that's the lens that I'm bringing. I don't do things because it's the way that HR has always done things. I do things because they're right for the business. And yeah, of course, sometimes that means things like HR policies need to get implemented. Cool. We all got to implement HR policies every once in a while. But other times it's like looking beyond the, the typical. We need to, right now, I, I talked earlier about leaning into our nearshore development site um, because we need some, we need to identify talent in emerging markets. And it's a lot of work for HR. If HR just said, Ugh, it'd be a lot easier if we just stuck to our operations where they're at. I don't want to set up a new entity. I don't want to think about hiring another business professional down there. But actually, it's the right thing for the business. And so that's where I'm operating as, as an actual business partner mindset over, over someone um, just in HR. I think it was Marari Soto Sanders from CVC Partners that said one of the best ways for a CHRO or a people leader to set themselves up for success for like future success is like focusing, like literally meeting with board members, asking them what the, their objectives are, like what are the most important things to the board? And in that really using that to shape the agenda. And I remember thinking 
like, wow, that is a really like not traditional HR move. Like that is like, if my HR leader does that, like that's a baller move that they're like, hey, I want to talk to the board and understand what are the board's priorities. Like that, I just feel like it's, as you were talking, it just reminded me of that. And and I I, I love it because by doing that, you are positioning yourself for success and and commanding respect and as well as giving clear examples of how you you intuitively or you you truly are trying to connect with the business and understand the business and and that's what it's going to take to elevate hr like we talk so much about how are we going to be in the conversation or when we need to elevate the function and the, it's following the the approaches that you're describing that i think are will get us there um, but I still feel like that is it, this is not the norm yet. Um, I, I, it's just my experience. I don't know what yours is. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's the norm either, uh, unfortunately. And when I think about uh, what HR's role is, and there are we do need to be bringing more people risks to board levels. I do think that's so when we're talking about attrition. We want to be able to influence the board to be able to think about what people risk that's putting up, lack of skills in the business where we've got deeper talent pools versus those that that may not. But when I'm talking about attrition, I'm talking about those things in the people risks. I'm also saying the reason we're tracking attrition trends is because it enables our financial team to bring better predictability to what our financial performance will be because we know how many people, how many bodies are going to be in seats day in, day out. And that's just elevating that idea and that concept of attrition to the next level that suddenly is meaningful to them because they are constantly wondering about how to be better predictive of what our organizational success would be both in the top line and the bottom line. And I've got a line of sight into a pretty massive outcome for that bottom line, all of our human capital and our people. Yeah. And I think another, another like huge opportunity that is, if we're not there, (laughs) we're going to get there really soon is like, what is the impact that AI is going to have on our business? Like, how do we, how will that change? How, like, that's a level of predictability and integration and advising that uh, like as you're talking, like these are the yes, I, yeah. I just want to shout yes because these are the conversations that uh, that we should be having. But it requires experience. It requires putting yourself out there. It requires having mentors that can help advise you who've been through it before. And so, uh, so on the topic of mentoring and coaching, one of the another thing that came up in our conversation is how the role of C- CHRO as coach to the to the CEO and and we hear this time and time again on the show that it's it's really critical for the CHRO or the chief people officer to really be in sync with the CEO and there's a lot of different ways that people leaders can achieve that can can get synchronized with their C- their CEO and but one one way that we've seen that we've heard a lot about is the role of the coach coach mentor in some in some instances especially with like earlier stage companies and so what are your thoughts and and what's your experience on how that relationship if if you can really in the ideal state what does that relationship look like and then i'm just curious like how does that how does that compare to the the dynamic between you and your your CEO? 
Sure. Um, I feel I feel really lucky that this is definitely a two-way street with the with my CEO and I. I know I know I've, I'm in a position of uh, privilege there. And I think it's so critical, especially trying to figure out where they're willing to meet you. And I think my CEO is willing to meet me halfway or more than halfway. So that has a major impact on our relationship. But if your CEO is just kind of crawling towards you and, and figuring out what that, that coaching relationship is, I'd say take advantage of it. So some of the ways that we set that up were early in our tenure together, we really talked about what are CEO decisions, kind of major people investment decisions like co-location. We talked about what are CEO and CHRO decisions together, such as when do we conduct engagement surveys and, and what does that look like for our business? And then we got really clear on what are CEO plus all SLT decisions. So what we had was this idea of where and when him and I needed to really hone in together and make those decisions where I was feeding him information, but he was really the A on the task. And when we wanted to present ideas back to the rest of the executive team to be able to figure out what we're going to do as a business together and making that clear was really, really helpful. So now I got, now I know what I bring to him and what, what I don't and what I should be asking others opinions on to, or in order to kind of influence what, what he's thinking. But now uh, part of what the CEO and I do every once in a while is we work on our relationship. I think all great duos work, work on themselves, athletes, political partnerships, right? And I don't think the CEO or the CHRO relationship should be any different. So periodically I'll ask him whether the things we're talking about are actually helping him be a better CEO. Are we getting to the agenda topics that are not just my agenda topics, but his agenda topics? Tell him that I think he's leaving me out of conversations that I need to be in. We've got a great trust factor there. And the other day we had a great heart to heart on the exception process. So like when is CDA and, and, and when is it important to kind of get the answer, answer that they want from me versus trying to like bypass me to get the CEO exception. So like we have those really uh, heart to heart moments that I think are really important. So I think if I was to summarize it, kind of setting it up from the start, great. Meeting them where they're willing to meet you is, a, is another one. Uh, and then working on that relationship all the time. And sometimes that means uncomfortable conversations, but it's helpful to continue to work on your relationship the same way you would do with any other important partner in your personal or professional life. We So we talk about this stuff all the time, Hannah, like all the time. It's just a function of, I guess, co-hosting a show called The Modern People Leader. And I love, like, this is one of the, the best things that I've heard on the topic of coaching and specifically the CEO and CHRO or CPO uh, relationship. And I, I think for, for all leaders, for all modern people leaders, I, I believe that working on your relationship is so important. And Daniel, I really, I'll give real time recognition and kudos to Daniel because he is just amazing at this and is super intentional and we do it and I'm willing, and this is a peer thing. So, but still like you have to be willing to meet each other and I'm willing to do that. And, and because of it, we get better and the company gets stronger and the modern people leader keeps growing. And, and I, I'm a big believer that it's like, it's because of, it's not any one of these things, it's all of them, but you can, like, it's, I, I just can't underscore how important I think it is to, to work on relationships. And so I love this advice. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Daniel? No, I do too. And I wanted to go back to something 
Well, first off, thanks for the kudos, Stephen. And I'm going to throw the kudos right back at you. I feel like we've been doing this podcast together for three years now, officially as a business for almost a year. And I feel like our uh, our our dynamic, our relationship has definitely evolved over the years and we've gotten better at understanding each other, which I think is 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 really important because if you if you don't understand your your CEO, if you're the CHRO, then you might make assumptions versus just asking like that second or third question and then just understanding, oh, that's just the way that Steven ticks or like that's just the way that Daniel ticks. Um, he's not being dismissive or Daniel's not being skeptical. He just always asks that second or third question. <laughs> so, uh, but that's it. Cause if you don't know these things and you're not explicitly like talking about it, then it creates it creates a space for like negative thoughts or like questioning, right? And that's the beginning of having barriers in 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 business, particularly in I I just think these are great life skills in a general sense, but particularly in business where there's fiduciary responsibilities and there's like you know there's a lot of pressure like particularly in the business setting, um, it makes it, you know, it, it's so much easier to operate if you're having explicit, these explicit conversations. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Sometimes I'll, I'll ask him whether he wants me to show up as Hannah or the CHRO, because sometimes you just <laughs> need a that. personal opinion about what's going on. And I'm like, can I sit down as Hannah for a moment? When we recognize that that's a really intimate moment where I'm like talking about some things that are really important to me or like we're having this this conversation because a CHRO hat can sometimes mean that you need to put on a slightly different lens or a focus. I know we've had some really tough conversations these days and I feel differently as Hannah sometimes than I do as a CHRO. And I give both perspectives and he just knows which one's coming from which person. A lot yeah. of the time, believe me, they're in, they're in sync. Um, but sometimes Hannah feels differently than the CHRO, and so um, that's that's what that's what we share. We we talk in those those kind of discussions. So Daniel, I love that you use yourself in the third person too. <laughs> I, I also really liked at the very beginning you were uh, you were describing how early in your tenure you talked about the major decisions and like where those decisions would would lie. Can you? Can you quickly resummarize that? So I think I have it right. So there's like the big CEO, CHRO decisions. There's the big CEO, SLT uh, decisions. And then was the first one major just like CEO decisions that they want to make? That's right. Sometimes okay. the CEO just has to go and make a call. And and we've been really struggling with this idea of co-location and what that looks like. And is it going to be great for the business? What is it? Is what is it not going to be great for the business around? And we we spent a lot of time spinning on that one. And in the end, this because we had such dichotomy across the business and amongst our senior leadership team, that became a CEO decision. Um, in order to move the process along, that was one that was defined quite quite early on. And believe me, now we're we're leaning into then what are the benefits of those? Because, but we needed that decision to just be made and we couldn't do it as a as an entire SLT. So that's like an example of something that I thought was uh, really great for him to stand up, make a call so we can all just move on from what was creating a ton of spin uh, around the business. As a former CEO who is in the future will be a CHRO, 
that is going to be, those will be important conversations. Like I will definitely want to have that specific conversation with my future boss because it, it even more so, because for me, like how can you, some of these things are, um, are so intertwined, but at the end of the day, like, you know, there are things that are, that are the CEO's decision, right? And he he or she will be accountable directly to the board for those decisions. And so I love that. I love the ability to just like call it out and agree. And, and so when you're not in sync, you have something to fall back and say, well, like, here's where I, we're, we're just not, it's not working. And so, and I, you, I'm sure have you like revisited those items over time. Yeah, every once in a while we get one that someone's trying to poke their head into and say, I'd really like to be involved in this decision. And uh, we we re we refresh what what we're making decisions around versus what what might not be need to be. And I think that changes over time. So for a while we were making COVID-related decisions that were required immediate attention and direct choices. But as COVID, you know, the 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 uh, you know the the immediacy of the COVID requirements came along. Then it it was a decision that then expanded bro- more broadly as we were starting to think about much deeper employee experiences, how departments look different, et cetera. And so, it it I think it could change over time too. And so, always good to to go back and revisit for sure. So something else I wanted to to get into, and uh, we spent a little bit of time talking about this in our prep call, but. It's the gender discrepancies in leadership. And this is something that I've learned a lot about in the last four or five years. So my wife, she's she's a, a software engineer. She's been doing this for, I guess, seven, eight years now. And uh, she's had me read some books to better educate myself on the topic. So she had me read a book called Pay Up. She also did this leadership cohort at her company that was built specifically for women. And then recently she went to a Latinas in in tech summit. And plus I'm an HR podcaster. So I, we talk about this stuff all the time, but I feel like I've, I've gotten more data points on like what this looks like in the past few years than uh, ever before. And it was pretty eye-opening. And I know that, that y'all recently did some, some research on this as well. And I guess, is this something that you can share now? Can you talk about the research or is it still not out? It was. Yeah. So that was our manager empowerment report, research report that came out, I think in September. Um, okay. So it's out there in the stratosphere for, for anyone to go in and check out. And what I, what I like about the data is that it talks about data from two different lenses. It talks about data from a perception point of view, how people are feeling about what's happening. And it also lays out data about the outcomes of what's actually happening. And I think it's really important to bring both of those data points together because you're, if you look at one data point, which is just women are not being promoted as fast or as, as frequently as men, it's one thing. But how people are feeling about that, the fact that they're much less likely to feel recognized or much women are much less likely to feel like the company supports them are also really important data points. And that's what I like about the research report is it brings in both of those aspects to it. So not just what's actually happening in terms of outcomes, but then how people are feeling as a result of it. And it's it's pretty stark. For every 100 men promoted to be a manager, 87 women are likely to be promoted. And that's that's actually a data point from a McKinsey study 
but some of the data that, that we looked at is that women are more likely to be managers of small teams. They're not given the same amount of responsibility. They're less likely to be managers of managers. So they're being promoted into smaller management capacities, less likely to get promoted beyond middle management. And so what you're starting to see is this uh, buildup of outcome problems that are associated with not just the perceptions that are feeling less likely to be developed and, and have the opportunity to be successful, but actually outcomes that they're not. And not just getting as many management positions, but the positions that they're getting tend to uh, be for smaller teams and less senior in businesses. And that's something we need to change. That's interesting. How did y'all, um, I'm curious for the research, how did y'all go about getting this data? Yeah, so we've got a research arm of our business, the Achievers Workforce Institute. So it's a bit of an adjacent business that looks at modern people leader problems <laughs> and checks out and, and asks about both the perceptions and outputs of what's happening around the topics that are most important to our people leaders today. So it's a, it's a global study. I think uh, about 1,500 people respond to it um, from all stripes and uh, in, in places uh, across the globe, um, as well as uh, large organizations. And we've got different data points by industries as well. So it really gives you a cut of what's happening um, differently amongst different groups. Uh, but this one in particular, the one on management and power, empowerment and the role of women in leadership positions uh, was pretty fundamentally truthful across all of those different cuts and looks at the business. And so it's uh, a good one for us, us all to kind of step back and, and take a look at. And, and some of that perception data gave us some clues as to where we should look about or, or think about looking first. So things like um, men are more likely to have a professional development plan. So there's like a pretty important clue that gets us to think about where we should be looking with your development plans. What we don't know is whether it is it because men are asking for development plans versus women are asking for pointers. Like, is there a way that we're approaching development planning differently for men and women, particularly if you don't have a a focused or specific way of development planning in your business. You want to really make sure that those those differences are being accounted for. And things like women are less likely to have received manager training. So how are we spending those L&D budgets in order to develop our people and build those skills equitably amongst our teams? So those are, are two areas that were identified, at least through the research that we conducted, that uh, anyone in an organization can start to look at and uh, feed through. That's super interesting. I guess as a part of this research, did you also ask what actions that they would recommend? So it looks like one thing that you identified, or it sounds like one thing that you identified is that women don't have professional development plans as as often as men do. But was there anything else that maybe the the group that you surveyed recommended? Yeah, a couple. So allyship. Uh, I love the way that you started off there, Daniel, about talking about your allyship. I think that's a great example of how that can be a groundswell action. So often we talk about what are organizations doing? What are the leaders doing? What is HR doing? But what you just described is an allyship that is open and has an opportunity for anybody to be able to lean in and make change. So I love starting there and thinking about that because then anybody who's listening to the podcast today or anybody in an organization can take that action and have an impact. Um, so that's why I love starting there is because we create change through volume and attention to this. And that can happen through things like allyship. Some of the other stuff that we stuff that we looked at were things like mentorship. 
entrepreneurship, uh, this idea of purposeful investment in women, sponsorship in the right moments. And that's a whole other podcast topic uh, for me around sponsorship. We need to, we need to lean into the right things, uh, the times when people need it, not blanketed sponsorship. Uh, there needs to be flexibility, probably a whole other uh, thing to dig into when it comes to uh, a modern, modern people leader, because flexibility means so many different things to different people. Um, but we need to allow for some flexibility. Uh, it doesn't have to be blanket flexibility, work wherever you want, whenever you want, but there needs to be some flexibility be built into there. And then things like even benefits. So what is important to women to be able to have them feel like this is an organization where they can be successful? So things like uh, childcare uh, increases a men's sense of belonging by 15% but increases a women's sense of belonging by almost 25%. And so when you think about why you're doing childcare, think about the improved benefits it might have for some of those diversity groups that you have in, have in your business. Now, it doesn't mean that, that we need to apply these universally. If I was to go back up to the top and have a different number one uh, than just allyship, it would be you got to ask first. Um, just because flexibility may be something that you think women want, it doesn't mean uh, that you need to pigeon yourself into a corner of stereotyping that another male might find caregiving benefits just as beneficial as a female. So if I had to redo my number one, it would be ask first and then be an ally and then think about flexibility and then things about sponsorship and mentorship. Yeah, well, I have so much going through my <laughs> running through my mind, and you know, on, on that last point, ask first. I it just always, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how many companies are still like throwing spaghetti against the wall. That's like their decision making on what benefits or what what offerings are made available to to employees. They're just guessing or making those decisions in isolation and not asking. And is like, you're like burning money. You're burning money. And here is a systematic way uh, of getting the right answer and Kate and improving your employee experience by asking what is important and asking what is really wanted and needed from employees. Um, so, so that was the first thing that came up, but for me, really, I what concerns me the most, I'm a father of daughters, and my daughters are are amazing. They are they are so intelligent and they are very courageous and they have goals and they have plans for their lives already. It's crazy. Because I my 13-year-old mind did not or 11 year old mind did not work the way theirs do. And, did mine. and, <laughs> and so they're destined to do things and to just see the numbers are telling a story of not a lot of progress, not enough progress. And so so that's what that keeps me up a lot is that the future workplace that my daughters are entering, like, first of all, it should not be this way. Like, how are we still here today in 2023, almost 2024, and there is still this level of discrepancy? And the, the, there's so much research, there's so much everything that points to having systems that are that are equal or that are at least creating the same playing, you know, everyone on a on working off of the same playing field and it's just still not happening. So I, that's like, sometimes I just, I feel like we have to talk about the hard truths 
that those numbers just aren't where they need to be. And I, I find that really troublesome for the future, but there, there are things that we can all do. And, and the allyship is, is another, is another great and easy way to engage and influence change. And so unfortunately we don't have time to go deeper into that because change is hard. Right. And, and I think that's just why the numbers, why we're still here, honestly. Um, and so we're going to have to be bolder. And so maybe we can have you back to talk about, uh, to talk that a little bit more sometime, but for now we have to turn the corner. We're, we're almost at the end of the conversation and we still have a couple of rituals that we need to get through. So the first, the next actually is what we call rapid fire questions. Same set of questions we ask all of our guests. Um, are you ready to do this, Hannah? I'm ready to do this. All right, let's do it. First question, how do you define a modern people leader? What are the traits and characteristics? I love acronyms. So modern people leader. M in the modern is for about making things happen. It's not yes. just your job to run a performance cycle, but you got to make things happen once you run that performance cycle. So a modern leader is making it happen. The P is for people, but not people in the way that you think people is, but people is that your HR are people too. And a modern people leader puts HR in their priority list and is making HR people a priority for others as well. Yes. And then the L for leader is about leading the way. So I shared earlier all the ways that HR is integral into the operations of a business in the most strategic levels, all the way up to the board. And so you don't need to ask to lead the way. The actions that you're taking are already there. It's up to you to lead it. Oh my God. Can I give kudos, double kudos recognition in a single episode? Like <laughs> Anna, you crushed it in like 150 plus episodes. No one has taken the acronym approach. I don't think I could be wrong. No, this is a first. Yeah. Like it is such a, so obvious. Like how has this not happened? I'll Love thank it. grade two Hannah who had an obsession over acronyms. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, gold star uh, on that one. Next question. I can't wait to hear the rest. If you could go back in time and talk to 22 year old Hannah, what career advice would you give yourself and why? I would say anything goes and go with anything. So what might appear to be a really silly career decision or personal decision, uh, sometimes what that means is you're getting really, really clear on the things that you don't want, but there's always a reason and just go with it. Nice. Love that also. Last question. Is there anything you believe to be true about the world of work but don't yet have the data to support. Yeah, my my motto for next year is going to be a sparking joy. So mm -hmm. I don't have a data point around this, but I think big moments are really hard to find. We're trying to get everything right all the time. And by finding the right time and the right message in a moment, it's going to spark way more joy for people than trying to do everything right all the time. So sparking joy in the little moments, I think is what I'm going to try and think about for the world of work next year. Love it. Love it. Gave me some ideas for my one word close. <laughs> but before we get to the one word, one word close, last question, who do we need to bring onto the show next? 
you keep asking HR people about CEOs. So I think you need to talk to CEOs more often. And I think you kind of like my CEO. He's really progressive on this topic of highly effective C-suite functioning. And he puts himself in the shoes of HR professionals all the time. So I think that getting that outside in perspective would be really, really good from someone who is welcoming and meeting me more than halfway in the middle on this really great topic. Well, you're the fourth person that has given me that feedback in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh, Stephen, what do you like to say? Uh, once is a fluke, twice Ice is, is it, a trend. Yeah. And then three times, what? there's nothing for three. I don't have anything for three. <laughs> okay. Still working so on that. It's definitely a trend. And um, yeah, that's something we're thinking about. Like, how do we bring on like CEO, CHRO duos and have them talk about their their dynamic and how they work together. So it's a great idea. And with that, we are on to our one word or phrase close. So we end every single episode the exact same way. And that's with a word or a phrase that just sums it up. Just anything that you want to close it with. And it could be whatever pops into your brain. Do I get to go first? Go first, yeah. Please. Uh, you inspired me, Daniel to say I can be an ally too, or I should be an ally too. I love that. What do you have, Steven? I'm going to go one word and I'm going to go, cause I've been in that mood. I'm just, I'm going to go with recognition. <laughs> we talked a lot about it. I've been given it and uh, it, it it's just so powerful. I'm going to, I was just inspired by your hat, Steven. I'm going to say so far, so bueno. Um, it's always tough getting back into the swing of things after a, um, holiday week. And, and, you know, last week was Thanksgiving for us here in the U S and, uh, Ooh, I was struggling yesterday, but, uh, today so Me far, too. so bueno. Me too. I'm, I'm so glad. Well, and you know, we're just like, I, I feel like I could always say blessed for my one word close because, it's just a Tuesday and we're having an amazing conversation with amazing people. And uh, it has been an absolute blast. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for your time. And thank you for the hard questions too. That's the way we change the way the world works. Awesome. awesome. Have a good rest of your week. Bye. Yeah. Thanks. Talk Bye. To you guys. Bye. Thanks for, for tuning into another episode of the modern people leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can, you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode.